Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, Truth Seekers. You're listening to A Measure of Truth on BlogTalkRadio.com, and I'm your host, Michael Fordham. If you just clicked the link on my webpage or you're listening on BlogTalkRadio.com or even the BlogTalkRadio player on my Facebook page and you want to call in live, look, we'd love to talk with you. So give us a call. The number is 347-326-9470. Oh, need a minute to get something to write with? But don't worry, I'll give the number again right after the commentary. Or if you like, you can Twitter me your questions and comments at twitter.com slash a measure of truth. Also, if you haven't yet, why don't you look me up on Facebook? I'm the Michael Fordham with a photo of me in studio, and you can always email me your questions and comments at a measure of truth at gmail.com. Look, we got a great show for you today. We'll be right back after this. Jenks Morton is a groundbreaking, international, and award-winning documentarian. As founder of the Iago Entertainment Group, LLC, he states the company came into existence to reflect both the conscious and unconscious soul of black America. Jenks Morton has been in the entertainment industry for more than 20 years and is a much-sought-after teacher, lecturer, commentator, and motivational speaker. He has convened workshops, seminars, and served as a panelist and keynote speaker at colleges, universities, prisons, conferences, churches, and community centers around the world. He states that I would have to make a film just to prove that black men are not in the dire state that some would have you believe, demonstrates the confusion that exists in America today. 
Jennings Morton. Welcome back to A Measure of Truth. Michael, it's been too long, too, too long, my friend. Thank you for having me back. (laughs) Oh, welcome back, and I'm happy to have you back. And you're right, it's been too long, because when I went to look at your current projects, man, a lot have went by. Yeah, I want to say probably two movies, maybe three, and another book since the last time we spoke. But I'm busy out here and keeping the products going. Wow, that is awesome. So tell us what your main focus is, and I would like for you to also, you know, just share a little bit of some of those other projects that we missed as well. Well, right now I'm on the verge of um, releasing. It's actually the movie is available at Amazon, but when we talk about releasing films, it's usually through the theatrical premiere. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be for my next film. It's going to be titled Hoodwink, um, and it's we can no longer doubt our greatness. It's about the. Uh, it's a continuation of my first film of uh, what black men think from five six years ago, but taking some of the more recent decennial census from 2010. And just showing, you know, I was saying five or six years ago how good things actually are looking. Well, now they manifest themselves five, year late, five years later. Mm-hmm. Um, the numbers are just staggering how well uh, young African-American men and women are doing. Oh, that's awesome, man. And, you know, give us an idea of some of the, the shocking numbers um, of some misconceptions that we had about black men and about black people in general as far as their success in society and how you've sort of um, shed a, a bright light on that? Well, the, the, the big one, and it's still to this day, is like it's still pervasive. I can go to almost any barbershop on a Saturday afternoon and ask the question, are there more black men in jail or in college? And I want to say about half of the group will probably still say jail. And that that was the myth that I kind of debunked five or five years ago with what black men think will come forward. I mean, look, we're a real staggering piece of data that came out this time. When I first did it in 2004, I believe was the data set, or 2005 is the data set I pulled it from, there were 864,000 black men in college. Well, in 2011, uh, just five or six years later, there's 1,444,979 black men in college. It, it, that's, wow. that's, that's a staggering, staggering. The original data that I looked at a number of years ago was in 2000. That's when it first started breaking out. It was, uh, I think, 815,000. So in 10, 11 years, the number has risen by 77% or almost doubled. In 10 or 11 years, the number of black men enrolled in college has almost you know, doubled. That, that, that's staggering. That, that's, that's groundbreaking. And my challenge to you and the media and, and your audience is, you know, I, I can pretty much wager that about 90% of y'all, this is the first time that you're hearing this this data. Mm-hmm. And the question is, why? Why Why does not mainstream media, why does not black media, why Why is this not being reported? It's it's just, it's almost a sinister conspiracy to denigrate and castigate uh, the achievements of young blacks. What do you attribute um, this massive growth to? I mean, what's going on? What has changed? What has um, helped uh, in the consciousness of young black men to have them to make these leaps forward. And, you know, I I, I had a real high-level conversation with a, with a pastor friend of mine, real high-level theological and high-level, you know, kind of even social psychological construct of what's going on with young black men. And I have, I'm going to say that I'm going to qualify like this. I have no social sciences to back what I'm about to say. I have, okay. I have my faith, and, and what I know is that God can take, a mess and make it into something great. And the mess is 
that most young black people are being raised in single parent homes. Mm-hmm. So you can, can you see what I'm saying? That, that, that that's that's social data. That stuff is just really messy. When you, when you talk about education and income, that's where a lot of the good stuff is. But to answer your question is, in my heart, I believe one of the benefits of young black boys being raised in single mother environments is that women have more of an emphasis on educational attainment than men do. Does mm. that make sense? Yeah. So I, and like I said, I have no evidence to support this. This is completely like a Jenksism. But what I believe in my heart is, and, and there's, there's a, a downside to this as well, because if you have everyone signing up for education, then you lose your entrepreneurship, you lose the laborious stuff. Like, you know, you got these boys that are in college that can't change the battery in their car. But that's another conversation. What I will say is that women have a hyperemphasis on education across all ethnicities, and I think that socialization mechanism that boys have been hearing over and over, you know, the keys to success is education, which is not all the way true, but they've got the memo, and I think they've started to adopt that, that ideologue. Now, do you think that there have been um, more role models visible as well that have helped them to understand what they can you know, hope to achieve if they just set their sights on a goal now and, and um, you know, look for something other than just, you know, sports and entertainment for, well, you know. And that, that's part of the larger messaging. But when you look at the, again, now this is this is valid social sciences. The, the, the people who are, you have to have sustained positive impact in order to affect behavior. So mm-hmm. they can hear that message, which is kind of good. They can see, you know, uh, Dick Parsons is a chair of, of Warner. They can see high-level attainment by black men, but in order for it to really, really have impact on their behavior, they have to be able to see it and touch it and have, you know, just sustained contact over a long period of time before they, it becomes a part of their behaviors. So, and the, the kind of case study that you can use that proves this point is, is the inverse, that if just seeing positive imagery around black identity had effect on behaviors and marriage rates should have shot through the roof when the Cosby show was in its prime back in the 80s. Mm. The, actual op- the actual opposite, it happened. When right, the Cosby right. show was on, marriage rates continued to decline. Mm-hmm. Even uh, with the uh, the Obamas, they're a great, great, you know, just a beautiful model of what a married black couple should look like. And they've been in office four years, and when they started uh, the out of wedlock birth rate was 69.7%. Right now it's 72.7. It's gone up three points. So mm. it has to be, it has to be like in your face. I have to be there. It, and that's why, you know, like when I work with father advocacy groups, just being around your child on the weekends, every other weekend is not sustained positive impact. And you, you just, it's very, very difficult to impact and have, you know, real influential effect on behaviors if it's not sustained over a long term. Let's talk a little bit about um, what you just mentioned. Um, a lot of people have coined it the Obama effect. Um, now that we have had a black president, wh- what impact do you think that's going to have, and how long do you think it will actually um, take to you know, really have the effect that we can measure just being able to, um, for African Americans to finally um, leap that hurdle? Well, and that's again, I would I would pause or I would hesitate to try to draw that conclusion. That Obama effect, when I first heard it, I, I kind of mm-hmm. I rejected it because, again, the social sciences don't match up to what that is. Just because you can see it, it's like I could watch Michael Jordan every day of the week <laughs> on television, 
and mm-hmm. it's not going to make me a, any kind of better basketball player unless I'm with him on the court training, and I still suck at basketball. But, you know, you know it's, you have to have contact. So I remember, like, it was probably when, they, when, they, when he was running and he got real strong before he got elected, they started talking about the Obama effect, and I was one of the ones going, that's almost ludicrous. It just doesn't happen that way. Mm-hmm. It, it's a beautiful imagery, and, there. I mean, you you can – you can see that image, but you have to have two things. You have to have really, really strong, like a driving mechanism. It's something that I desire in my heart. But then also you have to have something that can you can model, like touch, and something that's also imprinting on you. So it's just it's it's very very complicated mm. to try to say these these. Now the the one thing that that can happen is you can emulate and have your own interpretation of what you see. But, it, but it, it's harder on the positive. It's very easy on the negative. You can watch that, you know, whatever, gangster rapper and all that other stuff and New Jack City, and you can try to adopt that ideology because it's just hard. I mean, it's easy to fall into negative in trappings, but it's harder to have a positive kind of a ch- achievement around behavior. So. Hmm. Okay. So this, this role model that we – had hoped that would have such a, a great impact. There's actually something else that is changing the minds of our, our young people that are um, causing them to um, excel more now and take advantage of the opportunities that are out there. So it, could it possibly be um, the uh, economy and our recession? That's another part of it. That, that, that's, that's a good pickup there, Mike, that um, when there is tough economic times, the default position, especially when you're un- unemployed, is to um, – increase your level of education. The only other kind of takeaway that it, it doesn't negate that, that, that kind of concept, but when you look at the, the number of that 1,444,000, I, I want to say it's 734,000, about half of them are between the ages of 18 and 24. So this mm-hmm. isn't a bunch of old guys going back to college. These are young kids coming out of high school going right into, right into the college systems. Wow. That's yeah, great. I mean, it's, it's 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 phenomenal. And again, we I think some of the kind of old perceptions and even misperceptions we have around what actually is going on just do not apply with what's going down with these these young eighteen to twenty four year old black men and black women. Let Let's talk a little bit about because you know you you do these document documentaries and and you do quite a bit of research. Um, tell us a little bit about um the style and what you have to go through to be able to make sure that the, the facts that you present in your um, your books and your documentaries are, are in fact, um, yeah, accurate and um, valid for what people are, are, are looking at to be able to gauge these kind of results today. It's, it's really not that difficult. I mean, I remember I was doing radio a number of years ago, and they were, they were like, who's your research team? And I'm like, are you kidding? This stuff is, <laughs> is not, I mean, it really, it, it was it was like, I don't know. It just, it just, it was a curious pr- proposal that in order for someone to do research on the black community, you have to be funded and you have to have a team. And that's absurd. I mean, and, and just think like this, I'll go back to the ESPN example, like Michael Jordan, you, ESPN, you, you never really had to cross check what, what his uh, number of points per game is or his number of rebounds on Dennis Rock. You, you just watch it and you, and they report it and you just pull it and then you can go to the barbershop and be like, yo, you know, like, you know, uh, Kevin Durant, he hit like 32. <laughs> that, that's the way we roll. But that's because that's what's important to you. Right, right. That basketball 
facts and figures and sports and, you know, to touchdown passes and sports. Then don't me around. I'm a sports fan. But though mm-hmm. so if it's not important to you, you won't go looking for it. Right. We have been so culturally conditioned as black people to hear, you know, just such negative stuff about black people socially and economically and educationally that we don't even check it when it comes out. And they don't really understand the process that this all is part of what's called the public domain. It's all provided by the U.S. Census Bureau. All you have to do is go to the U.S. Census Bureau website. The numbers are right there. Mm-hmm. And there's a great exercise that I do in Hoodwink, the movie, <clears throat> with one of my doubters. He's a dear friend of mine. I actually work for him. He's a principal at a high school that I teach at. And he's always looked at me kind of side-eyed for the past year, even though I work for him, when I'm going right <laughs> and, and trying to tell him that, like, you know, his thing is 50% of black boys are, are not graduating. I'm like, that's not true. It's not true. It's not true. So all I did with him one day while the camera was rolling, I'm like, look, have you ever looked at the website before? And we went right to the Department of Education. He looked it up, and his jaw hit the floor. He's not a researcher. It didn't take him, like, three hours. It took about three minutes. Right. Yeah, and that that like the dropout rate is right is a big old chart right at the Department of Education. You just type in sixteen through twenty four, and it comes right up. Wow. And, it, and but you got like again, I know what I'm looking for because you know exactly. The first time I'm gonna, but I can tell you if you go to the Department of Education and type in persons sixteen through twenty four in their search engine, the first report that comes up is going to say dropout. You click that, and you will see the dropout rates for every ethnicity by gender since nineteen seventy. Big old chart. Wow. Takes you about two minutes. Hmm. And what we have to understand is that there are organizations, there are principalities, there are individuals in this world that are vested in putting forth negative information about black people in order to kind of lace their pocketbooks and to give them position and power. Okay. Now, now you you mentioned a little bit, um, lace your pocketbooks and positions and power, but give us some, some real hard examples. How is this really helping people? How do they benefit from this? Um, there's a real kind of bash backwards psychological construct that it, it does, it can work this way. I don't believe it. I don't like it. Mm-hmm. But they believe that if I hit a young black boy with all the negatives, then it will inspire that young black boy to try to beat the chances of, of failure. So mm. It's it's the old it's like your grandma. Mm. Well, you know, if you don't get to school and you're gonna go to jail, that thing, hate it, right, can't stand right, it, right. makes me nutty. You know what I mean? You know, mm-hmm. you know, you, you're gonna get locked up if you don't get yourself together. Well, what does gets myself together look like? But they throw all of the negative, everything that they can find, because the other side of it is uh, they get funded for doing negative stuff. Because when they sit in front of philanthropic organizations, the first question they're asked is, "Tell us what the problem with black folks is." So you tell them what the problem is. You make the problem look like it's the Grand Canyon, even though it might just be a creek in front of the gas station, and you get paid. And mm. you beat black black people over the head with that stuff in the hopes that they will aspire to achieve, like, beating the odds. And it's it's the crazy construct to me. It is a, it is a lower lowering of the bar of expectations for, for, for performance, and, it, and really, there's a divergent mess, messaging that's happening between black women and black boys. Black girls have always kind of got this message. You know, they get things around their sexual identity that are kind of nasty. But when it comes to education, like, they get the message, you know, you can't rely on anybody. Don't, don't you know, stand on your own two feet. Get yourself together. Be independent. Be strong. Don't depend on nobody in this world, including black men. 
that that that's a very mm. very like different message. We tell black boys, can you please graduate high school? And while you're at it, don't get locked up. It's crazy. Right. It's motivating by fear. Is that really motivation at all? No, no. It's it's saying, okay, wow. I, and then you, from from pride, self, and ego. Like a boy graduates high school and thinks that he should have like a, a a bottle of crystal at the nightclub. No, you're supposed to graduate high school, crazy. And and but you can't tell him no different because all his life he's been told that what he is doing is exceptional because the normative expectation for black boys is to be dead on drugs or locked up or in jail. Mm. And it's, it's it is a it is a polluted kind of construct of the soul. It, it is a very very dangerous message. That has been you know lopped on black men probably since we got here off the boat hmm. and, and and it just it really does all kind of complicated things psychologically to what your perception is around your own identity. The big segment from from hoodwink that that I do, I just walk up to regular black folks on the street and ask them, name one positive stereotype about black people, and I get nothing but dead air. <laughs> they can't hmm. think of one. Hmm. I mean, and, and when they do, it's like singing, running, j- jumping, dancing, and, and shucking and jiving. And then the, the follow-up question is, well, tell me a positive stereotype about Hispanics. And I'm saying within five seconds they're going to say that they work hard. Tell me a positive mm-hmm. stereotype about Asians. They'll say um, they're smart or they're good in, in science and math or, or something around that. So to really understand how this, this, this poison works with black identity those two stereotypes that they name about other groups are positive wealth building stereotypes. So if a group is right. smart, they're going to advance. If a group mm-hmm. works hard, they're going to advance. So here's a, here's a showstopper. I wish we were taking callers. Name a positive wealth building stereotype about black people. Shuts the house down. Mm. Shuts the entire house down. That's what this messaging, this negative messaging has done to our perception of ourselves our, our 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 sisters, our brothers, our, our neighborhoods, our community, our, our whole identity as a collective. We ain't no good. Mm-hmm. Well, the phone lines are open, and um, if anyone does want to call in, the number is 347-326-9470. And um, just give us a call, and um, we'll go ahead and, and put you on, and, um, you know, we'll listen for your comments or you know, even if you have a question for Jenks, please give us a call. And uh, I've posted it on my Facebook as well, so you can just go to the page and see the number there if you didn't happen to write it down. So, Jenks, tell us a little bit about also um, this black people don't read. What, where does that come from? What's, what is that all about? That is the, the book, the complimentary book to the movie Hoodwink. Um, it's coming out uh, the 21st of August. <laughs> and... What that's going to do, I make uh, a lot of statistical claims in, in Hoodwing, and just how I just explained to you how you can look up the um, data at the Department of Education on what the dropout rate is. Well, I mm-hmm. show it in the movie, so I figured like this. You know what? If you're running at the barbershop, you know, it's too hard to try to look it up and pull it up on your, on your smartphone. It's going to be too small because the graph is small. Why don't I just take the charts from Hoodwing, take the graphs, and the screenshots right from the Department of Education, right from the Department of Justice, right from the Department of Labor, Commerce, and wherever I get my data from, put it Mm -hmm. in a book, put some of the related articles that have been written by myself and a dear friend of mine, Dr. Ivory Tolson. We've been writing and talking about this for about, you know, forever. Put it all together and have this kind of, you know, handbook 
So while you sit in the barbershop, I, I would love for black men to really pick this book up and just walk in there and just take the first shot and ask the question. Are there more black men in here on college? <laughs> and then when they when people start saying some of the crazy stuff that we say, just uh-huh. show it right to them. Here it is right here. Here's the numbers. But well, where did you get it from? I got it from right here. Here's the picture. This is right from the government. This is, here it is. And then right. the other big point in the movie is what percent of black boys drop out of high school, which is, you know, most people are saying around 50%, which is just wrong. And the, the charts are there, the data is there, the evidence is there, and then the arc, articles around how this how this misinformation got into us are inside of that book. So it's actually two books. One is uh, like a, a Cliff Notes version. Mm-hmm. It's called it's, uh, it's it's actually called Quick Notes, but it's it, and it looks like Cliff Notes. It's the yellow with the black. Yeah, bars on I it. see that. <laughs> yeah, but that's a real short version. I think it's forty four pages long, maybe forty six, and all that is is. All just nothing but graphs and pictures and screenshots without all the the research and all the articles. It's like a picture book. You you take the point, walk into the barbershop or the beauty salon and be like, hmm, who's enrolled in college the most? Black women or Asian women? Start that conversation at the beauty salon. <laughs> wow, that's something. So, yeah, so I mean, two, there, are two, there are two pieces. Like one is a quick one. Like one you stuff in your pocket. One is it's more for uh, what we're trying to do is go across the spectrum. So regardless of what your academic experience is, from high school to to PhD, the the PhD is going to be the actual book. But if you just want to go to the barbershop and get something started, you get the cliff notes and just walk in there and just start showing grass. Here it is, buddies. Right. That's really interesting. So so what you've actually done is you've done your own fact-checking. For people who will only say, oh, that can't be true, but won't go that next step, you, you've pretty uh-huh. much done the work for them. Yeah, yeah. so it's like, it's like I know that even if I say the U.S. Census, when you go there and look at that, I know you know 10 years ago when I first saw it, that thing can be overwhelming You because there's so much data there. It can be overwhelming. So if, unless you're just, like, diligent and just got a real, real just desire to find that stuff, it's going to take you a minute. And when I say a minute, it might take three or four days to find what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. So as opposed to driving people crazy like that, I just take the screenshot from, what, you know, where I, where the data is, put it right inside of a book, and here you go. So let's just give us a quick synopsis. Let's just dig in a little bit of this guilty until proven innocent. Wow. That's, man, when did that movie come out? <laughs> I want to say it came out like a year and a half ago. It was like Christmas. Yeah. Yeah, so guilty of the basic premise is that I believe that there is a violation of the Equal Protection Clause of the United States Constitution when it comes to the child and family court system. All that means is that when a man and a woman, uh, regardless of they're married or unwed, uh, go before a judge inside of the family court, and it is for the, uh, the kind of disposition of where the children will reside, I believe men are perceived as less than, not equal to, and not even good enough at times uh, to be considered for co-equal parenting with women. Mm. And there's there's consequences that are to that. 87% of all children go are awarded to uh, sole or sole custody to the mothers, which right. tells me that only 13% of men in this country are qualified to be co-parents. That that's insane to me. And I, I, as I look through that system. I found that it is more invested in pitting families against each other, mm-hmm. starting starting wars and confusion for their own profit. They have no interest in reconciling and helping families to heal and do what's in the best interest of children. I think this is the project you were just starting the last time I spoke with you, and you gave me a little insight on this. And um, mm-hmm. wow, I definitely have to get um, a hold 
this is a um, a film or is it the book? Yeah, it's, it's a film. Okay. And, um, and it's a bunch of it's it's probably about twelve, fifteen men who can't have who don't have adequate access to their children. Uh, one wow. guy had and, and how this one guy, poor guy, just I mean he just cries all over the camera. Mm. But um, his wife had accused him falsely of molesting his own daughters. So, you know, he has to go through just all kinds. And I think by the time he finally first saw his kids, it was a supervised visit with a psychologist watching him as he changes diapers. It's, it's sick. Um, you know, there's a guy nice. who just, he just loves his kids. And, and it just, you know, a, a, a very hurt person is hurting him and the children because of their own kind of, you know, vindictiveness. Now, um, I, I always like to talk a little bit about your style and the way you do your documentaries. I mean, because um, you, you pretty much just go right at it, and um, you wrap them up pretty quickly <laughs> for the most part. You know, you have an idea and a concept, and it's like, I know what I'm doing. This is what's going to happen today, and watch. It's, it's happening. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. it. That's yeah. Jenks. And if I had to, to figure out what your name means, Jenks, I would say that would probably be it. <laughs> yeah, it's a go for it, right? Absolutely. It, it, it is a funny process for, uh, because I, I'm doing not technically documentaries. Technically, they're called docu-laws because I'm documenting, docu- documenting dialogue of people to construct mm-hmm. a story. But, mm-hmm. you know, outside of that kind of technical scope, I, I don't have an outline. I have a, a concept on what it should look like. I know what I need in order to make it happen. That is usually – you know, 10 to 15 subjects and three to five experts, and that that's the way stories are put together. And, you know, shoot it, and then you just go back and watch and memorize everything and put it together and tell tell the story that you think best conveys the message or, or the issue you're trying to uh, advocate people or mobilize people around. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a nutty process. Uh, and I, if I ever had to, to, to write a, dis, a dissertation on it, I flunked that class. I, I, sometimes I don't even know <laughs> I look at the movies that I've done in the past. I look at them. I'm like, I don't remember doing that. You know, I just no, I don't, wow. I really go, you know, between shooting it and the editing it and the you know scoring and you know, this and some of the stuff I look at, I'm like, wow, that was really good. I don't remember doing that. <laughs> right, right. You know, and it, and it's almost like you know, and you get that. It's like I had something in me and I had to get it out, and there it is. Hope you there like it. it. Yeah, yep. yeah. And you know, fortunately. I think every film that I've won has won some type of award, either nationally or internationally. Um, mm. I'm, I'm, I'm positive. Yeah. <clears throat> and Hoodwink, the latest film, and from my filmmaking and storytelling, you know, limited skills that I have, I, I really believe it's my best work yet. I really, I mean, mm. I, I sit back as it's a culmination of like filmmaking technique as well as storytelling, as well as like editing. The whole thing just kind of really came together in a very, very strong and impassioned way around this film. So tell us a little bit about the tour, because you're doing a tour with this film where you're doing a lecture as well, along with the um, this viewing of the film. Right, and I haven't really slated that, that thing out. I'm in the process of really tr- just trying to have a great theatrical premiere of that film. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, I have universities that I'm, I'm pretty much every time I release a film I go to, but the, the tour, what what I do is, take my film, show up at either a university or a community-based organization or, or faith-based organization, uh, show the film, and then have pretty much a one-hour, hour-and-a-half Q&A between me and the audience to address, you know, the issues that we're trying to move people and get them to focus on. 
Wow. And what type of feedback do you get? I mean, this is a lot. I mean, just like you said, most people will be hearing this kind of information for the first time that you're oh. you're presenting to them. And, um, you know, it's hard for them to take it right away. Um, you know, you have to sort of, you know, look at this as factual information first and then look at its impact and then realize that this has been going on for quite some time and you did not know about it. That's the part right. that's hard to, to really. Well, that, that, especially with the movie like Hoodwink or What Black Men Think when I'm in real just a data space. Those those movies are just, it's facts. It's, it's data, it's statistics, it's evidence. It's irrefutable. It's, 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 I have to give people, what I tell them to kind of set up that conversation is like, you know, I'm not the brightest bulb on the tree or the sharpest knife in the drawer. It took me, you know, just a minute or so to find this stuff. My question is not only why do you not know this, but why is black media not reporting on this stuff? Mm-hmm. Because, uh, again, the the real profiteers are more invested in the negative stuff. And and that's the other thing. I mean, like, you know, with, with big black media, they, they love the drama. Drama and yeah. crisis sells. It's just it's a money-making industry. The conflict between or the quote-unquote relationship crisis between mm-hmm. black men and black women is probably one of the most profitable sectors in the black American economy. That, mm. I mean, and, and that movie, uh, Think Like a Man, is, is a, it's a telltale sign uh, or the epitome of how you can hyper portray something that I don't believe is a crisis. I think it might be challenged, but it's not a crisis and mm. put it out there and people just run and flock for answers. And people are going to these things because they hurt. They right. want the truth, but no, what they're doing is just kind of exacerbate the problem, inflaming the emotions and not finding any kind of reconciliatory space for people to heal from these wounds. Mm. Wow. You're right. Yeah. You know, because exactly what you're saying it's feeding the person who really wants to, you know, they yeah, want to sustain think, think themselves on show. that. Yeah. Think about your own, your own show. If we do a show about this, the positive story, I, 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 I'm going to do this and I'm going to take it back to the book. Mm-hmm. We, we say we're going to talk about the positive statistics about black men tonight. Man, you're lucky if you get two or three people. <laughs> do, do, a, do a show on, you know, the cradle to prison pipeline or the black male dropout rate. Or the blackmail incidents of the download. You can't. You can, the phone lines are lit up and going crazy. And then my own book, the original title of Black People Don't Read was 101 Black Facts About Black America. <laughs> Boy. Right. One, one, as, and I put the cover out because I was conflicted because I hate to play in the stereotypes. But, you know, I'm talking to, to some people. And I'm like, you know what? I'm, if I put this out, I bet you black people go crazy. Put the black people don't read out there. And then people was cussing me out on Facebook. <laughs> but you know what I got? I got eyeballs. So uh, I understand it. Right. And I'm using it. I'm using a stereotype in your face. It's so ignorant that I'm going to put a title out there that black people don't read. If you couldn't read, you wouldn't know what it was saying. Right. And it is it, it, the stereotype is if you want to hide something from black people, put it in a book. <laughs> that's where that, that's where that title came from. Yeah, well, that 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 comment will get you cussed out. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. I try to remain Christ centered and faith based. You know, uh, come at, they come at you, they get mad. And and like I said, I understand how Hollywood and black media operate. They operate from the drama. Right, right. Well, and you'll just call it marketing. Ah <laughs> oh, man, this is too funny. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and you know, I wondered too when I saw the title, and um, it, it was what like, is, "What is, knowing, knowing James? What is James doing?" 
don't even look uh, like something he would do. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that that's definitely seemed like a detour from your, your what you generally would put out there. But um, you know, you have an amazing way of um, touching people and getting your point across, as well as um, you know, changing our focus and uh, helping us to understand what is most important and um, look at the system in itself that is manipulating our minds and. Um, trying to position us uh, in some places not really in our best interest. So, you know, I am always um, happy and pleased to see what you're doing because of that, because I know what's inside of the package, so to speak. So I just want to hear a little bit. I mean, and this is sort of out out of bounds, but I I do want to hear your your opinion and your thoughts on the Trayvon Martin incident. I didn't really get into the Trayvon thing, I understood it, and I understood the violations that that, that happened by, by Zimmerman, and I really didn't get it. There's a couple things where, you know, think certain things go down, and I see how my people rally and petition and protest, and mm-hmm. I, I, I just sit them out. I, I sat out the Trayvon. I sat out Gina. I, I sit them mm-hmm. out. I'll, I'll, because what I have to say is probably going to be so diametrically opposed to what the general consensus amongst black people is, Right. It'll get me in more trouble and more more distractions than what I'm willing to deal with on my own. Mm. So, like with Trayvon, I mean, it, it what hurt hurts me about that situation, not to minimize or marginalize his death, is that you know I live in D.C. I mean, we got brothers killing brothers by the boatloads every weekend. Mm-hmm. But we get you know you get one. I don't even know if he's white. I don't know what he is anymore. What is in him? Is he Latino? I don't know what he is today. I really, I don't, I haven't kept up with it. But I mean, you get, you get a white police officer and shoots a spitball at a brother. We, we in the streets marching. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I'm saying that, you know, the, 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 the biggest challenge we have today as a community, you know, is there are systemic and oppressive things about the larger white society, but we got some stuff on the internal that we need to really, really address head on that will put us in a better position to kind of navigate and negotiate those, those kind of systemic barriers. Mm. And like I said, that conversation gets, they might try to take my black card if I come like that. You know, even though we are lifting every voice, sometimes I just got to watch my voice. Cause they be done. Like I said, they be done kick me out. You know, I went to HBCU, <laughs> married a black woman, got black kids, you know, all that stuff. They grew up around the way. They would be like, Nope, you would, you were, you were Clarence Thomas. Now they kick me right out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I got to swing it back the other direction. <laughs> yeah. So. Now, um, now, like I said, you're always working. Are you working on a project right now, or, or are you just focusing on this this tour and this next um, the hoodwink that you're talking about? Well, hoodwink is, is finished, um, mm-hmm. and it, it's a it's a relatively simple process. Hoodwink, uh, I have a theatrical premiere and carve out the tour. Uh, right now, over the next couple of weeks, I'm, I'm in the editing process for Black People Don't Read the Book. So mm-hmm. the book the book is going to come out about the 21st. I'm hoping to have the theatrical premiere the 6th of September. So they all kind of, all that hoodwink oh, yeah. stuff happens right right after Labor Day. But uh-huh. right after Labor Day, I'm going to probably, in that two-week period before I really get out on the road, I'm going to be shooting uh, a movie. And, again, it's probably going to get me kicked out. I'm going to lose my black card on this one for a minute, too. But um, I'm gonna, it's called the movie's called Fiat. And what I'm going to be advocating for is the decriminalization of marijuana. 
So yeah, you know something. <laughs> I thought your website was hacked because <laughs> I, I looked at your um, page and I saw something um, weed, and right. I was like, yeah, he'll, he'll he'll take care of that in a minute. <laughs> no, but 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 and, and, well, and here's the the funny space is I don't smoke. I used to smoke. I don't smoke no more. I ain't smoked in years. But I'm not making a movie to advocate for people to go get high. Uh-huh. What, what, what my advocacy is is disempowering a system. Mm-hmm. And the reason why this movie came to, to fruition was a number of years ago I was on a panel and someone was like, they, they, they were challenging me because I'm really focusing on the positive. Like, what can we do to help the brothers going to college? That's my whole thing. And I'm not really dealing with the guys who are locked up. I'm really not. That's not my thing. There's enough people out here working on that. Y'all go deal with that. But the brother was like, well, if you ain't where to do with that, you know, we only as strong as the weakest link. I'm like, whatever. He's like, well, just give me one thing you would do if you want, if you had to do something to help out the brothers, who's, you know, who locked up. Uh, and oh, I'm like, that's easy. I'm like, that's easy. Just decriminalize marijuana. That's that's simple. Mm-hmm. And it, it is that simple. But again, when we go back to there are organizations who get paid to work around the black male incarceration rate, they're gonna be employed till Jesus Christ comes back. Because the black male incarceration rate is just, it's like until we don't have, you know, they have a, a very, very flawed logical perception. They'll be like, as long as there's one black man in jail, that's one too many. That's crazy. It's, it's, it's just, it, like I said, that's a way to sustain your enterprise. However, mm-hmm. if you really, really wanted to, to get brothers off the loop, like not going into the system, you just decriminalize drug use. It touches about 42% of all incarcerates now. Forty-two percent of brothers that have gone into the system, either jail or prison, has something to do with marijuana. Mm. So I'm saying I put that system out of business easy, and I'm not saying go get high. That's not the message of this movie. They're saying how do we stop this, you know, modern era systemic subjugation of black males that is being carried out by kind of this police state that is, you know, the state, local, and municipal government. So what what I hear you saying is you're looking at marijuana as a tool. Yeah, the the, the, the personal and a process use, and the mm-hmm. personal use of of drugs as a libertarian, which I am. The government really should not be able to tell me what I can and cannot ingest. I could I could actually go ingest poison to be able to kill myself. They shouldn't be able to stop me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a real real hardcore libertarian perspective. Like, and it's funny I should. You know, the people that should be getting down with me should be the National Organization of Women, who has all problems with with me because of the abortion. But they're the first ones to tell you it's my body. Well, if it's your body, then you should be able to smoke weed. They don't. <laughs> they don't want to get down. They don't want to get down with it. So that's that's why you're either hypocritical, disingenuous, bipolar, or just out and out maliciously lying. So, it, and that's what I'm saying. When you understand principalities and power, you will find this this. Uh, I don't want to discredit them. You will find inconsistencies in people's ideologues. They they have ideologues of convenience. Like I said, the people who should be getting down with me on the decriminalization of marijuana, the people who will stand right in your face and tell me it's my body, it's my choice, will not get down with you on the decriminalization of marijuana for black men. Hmm. Now, and well, tell me where my logic is flawed. Please let me know so I can. Because <laughs> I'm gonna blast them. I'm gonna keep bla- I'm gonna keep blasting them until like you know the, the chairperson calls. But to just tell me if my logic is flawed. Yeah, that, that's a that's a whole nother show, and I'll be sure to invite you in on that one as well. Yeah, like yeah. the national organization or the pro-choice people should mm-hmm. be getting down with the the people that are advocating for 
personal use of marijuana. They should be like a country club. They should be hanging out. But <laughs> no, no, we, we don't we don't get down with them because they're drug addicts. Right. Really? Right. Well, ideologically, you're both talking about the same thing from where I see it. The, 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 keeping the right of the government out of your bedroom, that's another one, the gay people, because they, they have a funny relationship with the weed heads. But, the, the, you know, the, but my, my body, my choice, my, don't, what goes on behind closed doors is my business. Well, that's libertarian stuff right there. Sounds like y'all should be advocating for the, for decriminalization of marijuana. They will not soak one dollar into that stuff. Hmm. Well, let's talk a little bit about um, some of the things that you've talked about with um, young men and their relationships with their mothers as well. Um, uh-huh. Why he hates you. That's another strong, wow. strong and powerful um, title. <laughs> now, I understand your logic behind it, of course, but how unrecognized ma- maternal anger is destroying black men and boys. Yeah, it's it's unreconciled and unrecognized, but mm-hmm. it's a lot, but it, uh, the unreconciled. Basically, why he hates you was about how in the black community we have this mantra. It's, it's like the eleventh commandment: you know, "Thou shalt not challenge, correct, or confront thy mother," mm-hmm. and it keeps young black men from having adult relationships with their mothers. It's kind mm-hmm. of the, the narrative like you are you will always be your what is it? You will always be your mother's son, but you're no longer your mother's child. Mm-hmm. And we got 50 year old kids. They still, you know, act like a, a baby when they get around their mommy. Right. And they're just all, all kind of, con- and, and because they're never allowed to really uh, kind of cope with those, those repressed feelings, never deal with them in an adult fashion. They navigate from like a juvenile space with their mothers and which relates to them having juvenile relationships with women and then also under the spiritual authority of their resentment, which is typically their mothers. So they, you attract what you resent. So they end up marrying the, the woman who's just like their mom. This is a, a real, real kind of complex psychological, spiritual cycle that, that permeates a lot of families of young men and adult men who just do not and have never, you know, learned how to, one, have have that adult conversation with their mothers, but then also forgive their mothers for the transgressions that happened during their, you know, their rearing. I haven't talked about that book before. That's a heavy one. Right, right. And is that specifically based on um, a single parent setup, or is this in general, now, regardless? This is, this is in general, and it's based upon a lot around my life story. I grew up mm-hmm. in a two-parent home, but there's just things that some mothers do that just instill, you know, bitterness and anger and resentment in young boys, you know. So one of the stories I have in the book is I was about 12 years old. I was, you know, basically mouthing off to my mother, and she swung the broom at me, and I, I caught it. And, you know, I told her, it's like, you know, is that the best you got? You know, Ooh. of course, she said, I'm going to tell your father, which, you know, that's a whole other book. But um, <laughs> but the, the, from that point on, she can no longer try to correct my behaviors with physical intimidation. Really, which it shouldn't—it shouldn't have been happening in the first place. Mm-hmm. So what she she devolved to was um, negotiation, manipulation, or castigation, mm-hmm. and those those three things just make for an angry young boy. Right. Like, like you ain't no good. Your father ain't no good. His father wasn't no good. You know. And if you ever have a, a son, he ain't gonna be no good either. That kind of—that's nasty. I mean, it's just that, that, and you have no power as a young boy, so you internalize it, resent it compartmentalize it and actually attract a woman who's going to say the same thing to you. Hmm. That's a nightmare. 
Well, yeah, it's, it's you know, one of the more debilitating kind of, you know, especially from, you know, the social, psychological stuff of what I do is that and that, that daggone movie, Dear Daddy, those, like, those are two of the roughest spaces that I have to navigate in. Yeah. And, and again, um, I, I saw that you had a role in some other works as well with some other filmmakers like Lamar Tyler. And um, uh-huh. tell us a little bit about, is there like a, a group of folks that you're working with to produce these films? Is it um, a formal thing or is it just something that you do just yeah, helping each other out? I have a, a great friendship, and it, it, there's nothing, no legal or contractual binding between myself and Lamar Tyler. And we, we're just, um, we're just very, very dear friends. So mm. we cross pollinate. But one of my rules is, is that like, um, when I made my first movie, I'm calling some very, very high profile people, like um, Juan Williams from Fox News. Mm-hmm. Shelby Steele, uh, Dr. Alvin Poussin. I mean, these guys are like legends. And, you know, of course, I don't even think that any of them really required me to send them anything I'm writing. I was just calling saying, look, I got these ideas, what black men think, and, you know, I'd love to hear your, your con-. And they were all just signing off on it. I mean, they were just jumping in like it was, and I guess at that time, because independent filmmaker was still in its real, real infancy, they were just getting in. And, what they did for me, I, I promised myself that I would always do for other filmmakers. And anybody, because mm-hmm. I just got two calls in the past week, you know, can you please be in my I'm like, sure. You know, it's, it's no question. I, it's, somebody did it for me, I will do it for any filmmaker. Not unless it's like, you know, strippers on the on the corner, something crazy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but if it's around something that, that you know, that is pertinent, you know, I'm in. Um, I got a, a film, a, a, another friend of mine that we're trying to, like take on as a mentee. His name is Adam Butler. He's got a movie that's called I'm Single Because. And mm. it's not the circus. It's not, you know, Think Like a Man Part 2. It is actually trying to tell people this is why you are single. Wow. And so, I mean, you know, he's a friend. I've known him for years, and he's like, I've been wanting to make a film. I'm like, sure, I'll jump. He's like, hey, will you get in? I'm like, sure. You don't have to call me. Just tell me where I need to be. <laughs> you know, and I can attest to that. Every time I, I, I need you on the show or I want you on the show for something, you were there. And um, and when, then I start doing my research again, and I realize just how busy you are. And, you know, I really appreciate that. I mean, I no, really no, I appreciate do. you coming through the way you do. No, and that's another rule of mine. I, my rule is I treat try to treat everybody like Soledad. And the, the story was, you know, Soledad called me at the house four or five years ago, and she's like, yeah, this is Soledad O'Brien from CNN. And I'm like, yeah, this is Martin Luther King coming back from the grave. Who is this playing on my phone? <laughs> <laughs> and she said, no, this is really Soledad O'Brien. I'm like, oh, crap, this sounds like it. She said, it is. Oh, crap, it is me. I'm like, oh, wow. But when from that point, she's like, I need you to do this, this, and this. I'm like, sure, let's do it. So I, I, my, my approach is when people, you know, immediate requests or whatever, it's like, Treat everybody like it was solid. I don't care how big your show is, how small your show is, but you reach it. Who cares? You treat everybody the same way. Hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's great. That's a great idea and concept and rule to live by. And we're right. going to just take a quick break, and we'll be right back after this. Are you living a fulfilled life? Are you living your true passion? Every human being is created for a unique purpose. The Take Flight Retreats, created and facilitated by Mali Pampadat, international award-winning poet, 
author, entrepreneur, and intuitive spirit, helps us uncover and rediscover our unique gifts, special talents, our passions, and most essentially, our inner light, so that we can see, own, and release our truest selves into the world, making a positive difference and having tremendous impact. Mali will take you on a three-day journey of self-discovery, reflection, meditation, and heart work to help map out your unique vision and mission, aligning your gifts and talents with your passions and purpose in life. Your investment towards Mali's Take Flight Retreat includes three days of body, mind, and heart-opening exercises, creative vision boarding, meditations, nature breaks, and room and board. Delicious and nutritious meals, wonderful amenities, and personalized copies of Mali's publications, A Million Fireflies, and Seen and Sustained, best practices and communication that increase the visibility of small and diverse businesses. Weekend retreats for 2012 will be held July 20th through 22nd and September 7th through 9th. Space is limited to six participants per weekend, so be sure to reserve your spot by registering today. To register, visit her website, malicreative.com slash retreats, or contact her directly at mali at malicreative.com. Welcome back, True Seekers. We're on with Jenks Morton, and we're just talking about his many works. And um, tell us a little bit about um, how people can, you know, get in contact with you, how they can preview some of your films, and about your website and other ways that they can connect with you. Now, the best way to, to catch up on all the films, six of them, and three with the fourth book coming out, <laughs> is that uh, <clears throat> com. Again, that's www.whatblackmenthink.com. And then any, like Twitter, Facebook, uh, even Tumblr, all that stuff is always Jenks Morton, J-A-N-K-S-M-O-R-T-O-N. Again, that's J-A-N-K-S-M-O-R-T-O-N. And it's, you know, Twitter, Facebook, that's the easiest way to, to catch a tweet. I'm a Facebook junkie. So if you're, really, <laughs> if you're really trying to catch up with me and, like, immediately need my attention, I'm always on uh, on my phone and even at home. It's just uh, become a great marketing tool for me. Yeah, and it's a great way to stay in contact and to do everything all, you know, to tell you the uh, truth, so many people have given up their web pages and the whole idea and concept of a web page for, you know, right. the Facebook, and uh, it's just phenomenal. I mean, I, I was right. just telling somebody the other day if um, Prodigy AOL and America Online would have done this from the beginning with the home page that you had for your own profile, they <laughs> wouldn't have to oh, worry yeah. about Right. Ever having a, a web page or anything, but um, right. yeah, it, it's amazing how the free stuff gets out there, catches fire, and becomes the most useful tool on the yeah. internet. So. Well, yeah, but you, I mean, like it is what it is for now. But I mean, when I mm-hmm. first started with my movies, I mean, I was on MySpace. I mean, I owned, I, I had two hundred <laughs> MySpace and Black Planet. Wow, I had two hundred thousand followers on MySpace. Wow, and another quarter million on um, Black Planet. Two hundred fifty thousand people. I can't tell you the last time I signed on to those websites. I really can't tell you what, what it is. Not, it's, 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 it's hurt my marketing because my reach on Facebook is probably like about 7,000, maybe 8,000. Oh, okay. But, but I have active followers on, on Facebook. 
250,000 on on Black Planet, and is is a funny thing because you can never really send a message to all 250,000. And uh, MySpace was like this. I think it was the same way. You couldn't really message everybody. Mm-hmm. Well, with, with Facebook, if you if you get real creative, you can actually set, hit something that's going to hit every single one of your followers' timeline, and that's a, a very very strong and aggressive marketing approach for for independent filmmakers. Mm. Have you also tried and um, you know Google Plus at all? Yeah, I have, but Google Plus really appeals to the more techie side in me. Mm. Like, you know, like they're talking about the new operating systems, Leopard, and um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's 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 cool for and for my Xbox stuff. It's really cool. I mean, <laughs> but for my my advocacy stuff, right, that right. Google Plus, I mean. I don't know. I don't even know what they're trying to do with it, but I'm telling you, the tech heads are all over that thing. Just like how, um, like Instagram has become like this kind of poster board thing, and you don't see people writing on Instagram. It's just pictures. So yeah. you know, you, you got that whole spectrum, and it's how do you incorporate all of these things into you know, your marketing strategy to touch the most people. So mm-hmm. uh, one of the things that is happening with Facebook right now is that they're starting to devolve to like graphics. You know, like used to yeah. people used to write stuff and you would read it. People aren't doing that anymore. It's like pictures and words, and and it it's, it changes how you have to message your stuff. Like like mm-hmm. I can't write this great article that you know gets picked up by Ebony Magazine and hope that it gets any legs on Facebook. It's just not gonna happen. I, mean, I had a, I had an article in Ebony Magazine, we put it on Facebook. That thing went nowhere. But if I put a picture of, of you know uh, W. E. B. Du Bois or, or Frederick Douglass with a nice quote, that thing gonna get like five thousand hits. Exactly. It's, just a, it's a funny funny. And, you know, call it the development of our of our attention span and our our de- degree for. Oh, I know what it is. Black people don't read. Try that one out. <laughs> How's that? Uh, that won't work. But we we have become particular about how we want to consume information, and right, everybody but, wants it quick, fast, and they want um, sound bites and they want the information. Yeah, the funny but, thing um, with Facebook, they don't even want videos and sound bites anymore. Like exactly. videos, you remember, like just about two years ago, you could put a video up there and I think it go viral on Facebook. It's not like that no more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not. I mean, not with me. I mean, I've had videos go viral before, and it's the last thing I had go viral was what's called an infographic. It was just a graphic. Which it says, here's the number of black men in college, here's the number of black men in jail. And that thing had like, I want to say like uh, 20,000 hits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and oh. video, I had a video say the same thing, maybe get 200. Right. But, you know, it's getting to the point now you do have to you have to put your content where it will be seen the most. Like you, you, if you have a video, you have to put Vimo, you have to put it on YouTube, you know, so right. it, it just totally changed the way. It's almost as if we know our flavor now and we know uh-huh. where we can pick the information we want. But, yeah. Um, but the, yeah, but there's certainly, you know, like I'm, I'm thinking about awkward, awkward black girls. She had a great breakout series last year, like these webisodes that were, you know, and they were about five minutes, which from the world that I operate on, that that's like too long. And five minutes on video is too long <laughs> where I'm at. But it was it was good. It was different, and it was funny, and it was engaging. So she was able to pull off, and I, she got a, a, a ton of followers. I mean, she was just a. I think she even got a television deal or something off of her. Her name is wow. this or something. Yeah, great, great breakout story. But I can't think of another breakout story like that from a web-based series. And, it might know, be Jake, out there. 
we are out of time, man. <laughs> we just been going and going, but we only got about thirty seconds. Look, thank you for joining us, and um, I, I, I will definitely want to talk with you real soon. I have some information I want to share with you. Uh, ask God for wisdom daily, but know that your lesson can come from anybody or any situation, good or bad, friend or foe. I just want to say special thanks to our producer Donna Hardiman, I'm Michael Fordham, and you've been listening to Turn. I'm sorry, a measure of truth on Blog Talk Radio. And until we meet again, take care of what becomes of you.